0: welcome you glorious listeners i cannot believe once again you have clicked right here and it has brought us together like i am right now talking into this thing which down the road will be then entering your ears and isn't that magic sorry i go off on this tangent However, this right here is the last compassion talk of the compassion talk series. For now, uh, more to come later, but for now uh, we are ending on a high note with Diana Winston talking about uh, mindfulness. And you know, Diana Winston for upwards of over 20 years, She is a speaker, a writer, a teacher, a consultant, all around uh, mindfulness. I mean, she's the director of the uh, UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center. She's written multiple books. Her latest one uh, being The Little Book of Being, Practices and Guidance for Uncovering Your Natural Awareness. Another book of hers is "Fully Present: The Science, Art, and Practice of Mindfulness." She has m- multiple books out, and uh, you know she is. I, I, you hear it in the podcast. I say I'm a huge fan of her. I've I've listened to uh, her guided meditations on the UCLA f- Mindful. Awareness Research Center's uh, podcast on, you know, Apple Podcasts and their own app in general. But yeah, she she really knows her stuff. And so uh, I was able to really, we were able to really dive deep into mindfulness and you'll hear her talk about, you know, what is mindfulness, what isn't mindfulness, um, you know, as well as describing how does mindfulness relate to compassion. And then you'll be able to experience a guided meditation by Diana Winston um, to kind of wrap up our conversation. So uh, I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And thank you so much for tuning in.
1: welcome to compassion talk i am here with diana winston diana how are you
2: i'm not too bad at this moment Thanks.
1: at this moment right yeah. uh, and uh i'm just so thankful that you know i'm zoom has always been around but uh diana being in california me in indiana california correct
2: that's correct yeah <laughs>
1: So uh yeah I'm I'm very thankful to have this opportunity with uh you being here on this podcast and um I I'd, I'd love to jump in with so you know you've been for 20 upwards of 20 years a you know guided meditation teacher trainer speaker um and so I I'd love to just start off with uh you know could you describe your understanding of what is
2: Mindfulness. Sure, um, I define mindfulness as paying attention to our present moment experiences with openness, curiosity, and a willingness to be with that experience. And so, it's it's really if you think about our minds throughout the course of the day, and you check into your mind, you would probably notice that you're lost in the past, thinking about something, replaying it. Why did I do that? Why would I say that? Or you're thinking about the future, planning, obsessing, going into the worst case scenario, catastrophizing. And so our minds are constantly going back and forth. And so mindfulness is this invitation to show up in the present moment and connect with a place of well-being that's inside us, that's not lost in the past or the future, but that's right here and now. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and for like, the listeners, this this the mind going to the past and future, that could look like... Images, scenes, words.
2: Yeah, people think in different ways, right? Some people are very imagistic, like they have visual images. Some people hear, and you know, some people see letters. I mean, every everybody's mind is really different. But, but what we do know is that much of the time, I think that you know, at least a third of the time, if not half the time, we are lost in the stories, the memories, and whatever form they emerge related to the past
1: right so mindfulness is just being with it is that um
2: mindfulness is redirecting our attention to the present moment so it's not sorry i said past but i meant past or future but mindfulness is cut like for instance to be mindful in this moment if you were just to feel everyone who's listening just feel your feet on the ground and feel the touch the heaviness the weight the pressure maybe there's tingling vibration And that was it. It's really pretty simple. You noticed it. But what I had you do and what I had the listeners do is direct your attention to something neutral, typically, that's happening in the present moment. And it's if you do this over time, you build the skill of this ability to come back to the moment, especially when you're having a lot of anxiety, depression or other difficult emotions that take you out of the present. Right, all of those, all of that thinking is all about what's coming up that I'm worried about, or what happened that I feel bad about. And so, in this moment, we can be here with what is, which is, you know, my body. I'm sitting on a couch. There's the sensations of that, and that is that can be enough. And I will say, because some people are saying, "What if the present moment isn't isn't like a good experience?" with mindfulness, we can learn tools to handle and face the difficulties that are happening in the moment. So learning emotional regulation or, you know, how to be present in the midst of challenging thoughts and emotions.
1: Mm. Yes. So that was a great explanation of what mindfulness is. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Are there any, like, what is not (laughs)
2: mindfulness? Okay. Um, I just want to add a couple more things. So mindfulness is cultivated typically through a meditation practice Mm -hmm. so that's how we learn to be mindful is we just you know you practice it like it's a skill that anybody can learn just by doing it so we do this practice and the, the practice in and of itself has all sorts of benefits like health benefits mental health benefits and life benefits so it's it's a meditative practice and it's also a quality of attention that we can have at any moment so that quality, that ability to return to the moment, to feel appreciation, connection, be present inside oneself, whatever is happening, this is an, this is mindfulness, and it's not dependent upon a meditation practice. So I wanted to say that before saying what it's not. That's what, that's, <laughs> um, that's what it is. Yeah. So what it's not is like making your mind go blank and blissing out. It's not about like never having thoughts. It's not about being like a zombie with no feelings and no emotions because you're like so perfectly in the present moment um, it's not about not planning or reminiscing it's so it's it, there's a lot of misconceptions connected to it um, but mostly it's a very helpful tool to work with our minds to create more ease and well-being to help with our emotions to cultivate positive emotions like mindfulness has all sorts of positive benefits
1: Yes. And so kind of mentioning these positive benefits, so Diana being the director of mindfulness at the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA, um, are there, could you describe any of these benefits or, or any, uh, recent developments that have, uh, come into the mindfulness field?
2: Sure. Um, the research hasn't changed dramatically since Mm. it, it started, but, um, you know, people started researching mindfulness like about thirty years ago, but it 's only in the last decade I think that's really picked up and it 's still a very young field i mean that 's something that people have to be aware of that there's maybe five six seven thousand studies, which sounds like a lot. But if we were to say, you know how many studies tell us that if you exercise it will help you, if you have heart disease there's probably like sixty seventy thousand studies right mm-hmm. so it 's still a young field there 's a lot more to do, but there 's a lot of promising research and it's been it's a couple of different areas like health uh, physical health so stress related conditions are positively impacted things like high blood pressure um, the our healing response so when we have when we you know have some kind of illness, it boosts the immune system, which we all need right now it um, it 's connected to like improving inflammation factors so so there's a lot that's stress-related physical and then oh and also there's a lot of research around chronic pain so it's very helpful with chronic pain then there's research around mental health so also robust research around anxiety and depression and you can sort of start to get the picture as i've described it it helps us not ruminate like get lost in those ruminations so um so anxiety, depression, other mental health concerns, and you don't have to have like a clinical diagnosis. It could just be I'm anxious because we're living in a pandemic and it's totally crazy, you know. So um, so there's that. And then attention, there's a bunch of research looking how mindfulness helps train attention and build more attention. So even if you think you're someone who doesn't have great attention, it can, it can transform over time. And then uh, there's neuroscience research looking at how it positively impacts the brain. And they've done a lot of looking at brains of advanced meditators and how it compares to an average person uh, of the same age. And because as you age, your brain thins out. I don't know if you know that, but now you all can have something else to worry about. When you get older, your brain will thin out. Um, But in the advanced meditators in certain parts of the brain, it doesn't happen. So like uh, the main area is the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is what we think of as the CEO of our brain. Flexible thinking, delayed gratification, working memory, impulse control, emotional regulation. Right, that is there's more gray matter, so we want that. Um, so anyway, those are some some of the kind of like basics. Uh, I'll give you one study that's new that I like that we, that was connected to our center. Uh, they were interested, and this may be related to what we'll talk about later, but. Um, they're interested in how mindfulness impacts pro-social behavior or altruism. And so there was a study done with like 300 people who were on some video game that was about uh, donation. And so you're given a certain amount of money and you donate the money and then they track what you do. And they had half the group listen to a mindfulness meditation um, before they did it and they gave at a rate 2.5%, 100% higher than, you know, twice as, twice as many, I think like 2.6% as much as the people who gave, who didn't do the meditation. So there is other research looking at mindfulness, altruism. There's research looking at mindfulness and implicit bias. There's, you know, there's some interesting stuff out there as well.
1: Wow. There's a full range of benefits with mindfulness. Uh And is this like, uh, you know, for the listeners who are like, so should I, I haven't really done mindfulness. Should I like start with an hour every day or?
2: <laughs> um, no, you should not because you probably won't do it. So think about trying to get to the gym. I'm going to get to the gym every day this week right. and then you do it like once or twice. So it's helpful to start keep a very low bar, like start with, I start students with five minutes a day because five minutes a day is doable. We can integrate five minutes. And then once you integrate the five minutes, oh, okay, well actually I'm really enjoying this or I'm seeing that it has a good effect in my life. So I'll do more, I'll do 10 minutes. And generally people work up to about, you know, 15 to 20 minutes is a good amount to have in your day. Um, And to do it with support, like to not just say, okay, I'm gonna sit down and be mindful, go. Um, we recommend using apps, um, more recordings to help you because that'll support you, especially when you're just starting out.
1: Yeah. And and I also just want to mention that this is something that I fell into was after each meditation being like, what happened? Where are the results? And (laughs) knowing that those results will come in, situations that are unrelated to you sitting down. That's the practice part of mindfulness. So I kind of want to transition or or at least focus on any, have there been any, you know, frequently asked questions about mindfulness that have uh, been repeatedly asked to you over the years?
2: Um, you mean about like the technique of mindfulness yeah. or, or the larger larger questions? Um are larger. Which one, both either? Both. Let's go both. <laughs> Make it more
1: complicated.
2: Um, you know, a lot of the questions were related sort of to your question, uh, what is, is what mindfulness isn't. Um, so people have this assumption that, they're gonna have some immediate bliss experience or this, their mind will go blank and there won't be thoughts. And so, so this, this is one thing that, that's really important to talk to people from the beginning, that this is like, a, this is a process. We have these, so it's related to a question where people will say, my mind is wandering so much, I can't do it. When I sit down to meditate, all that happens is I think about everything under the sun and um, what's important for people to understand, as you were just pointing out, it's a practice. It takes time, you have to do it. It doesn't work if you don't do it, you know. And you practice it and just like you don't sit down at the piano and play Mozart from the beginning of the moment you sit down, you have to play scales. So it's kind of like it takes, our minds are wandering all over the place and actually having a wandering mind is not a bad thing it's a sign of human intelligence right it's a sign of an active mind it's also a sign of of, um what kept what's kept us alive like having a mind searching for threats that's what our brain does so when you sit down and try to meditate and the next thing you know is you're just lost in a million thoughts Okay, it's not a problem. What we learn to do is redirect our mind into the present moment. And we learn to let go of the things that are taking us elsewhere and come back. And as you do it over time, it's like a... It's like a muscle that's built in your mind, not literally, but it's a a muscle that develops. And then we have more and more skills. So this is the main one and the main place where people get discouraged and you can't do it wrong. Like just do it, get yourself, sit down somewhere and try it and then see how it affects your life. That's really what you were pointing to, right? That, that it's it's not about like, oh, can I be with every single breath? I don't think I even yet described it. Um, but maybe I should describe the, the beginning of the meditation that we start people with is find something in your body, like you're breathing. When your attention wanders, you bring it back. And you do this over and over and over. And so this is, so what I was pointing to is that how many breaths you can be aware of is not the goal but how it affects your life am i being kinder to myself am i being um, how am i relating to my partner how am i do i feel like when i get lost in emotions do i have an ability to come back to myself how are my other relationships bearing these are all signs that the mindfulness is like working right that's it that's what to look for
1: Weird things are going to happen when you do it. Good. <laughs>
2: good Weird way. good things. Yes.
1: So being on a uh, compassion talk the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. could you describe how, um, you know, how compassion relates to what we've been talking about with mindfulness?
2: Yeah. So compassion is connected to like in my view, it's like us connecting to somebody else's pain and having a response arising of like wanting to alleviate that pain. So it's like an opening of the heart to another person. And so practically speaking, and also with the research, mindfulness has this element of kindness. And and well, we say more kindness, but kindness and compassion built into it. So we... Some people say that like a definition of mindfulness could be paying attention with kindness. And so what that means is like you're having an experience. I call it the willingness to be with that experience, but you're having an experience and instead of being like I hate this experience, I shouldn't have this experience, there's something wrong with me that I'm having this experience. With a mindful mind and heart, we just we're willing to be with things as they are, willing to be with ourselves. So we're showing up for ourselves with kindness. And every time you lose your focus, you don't go, you stupid jerk! Get back to your breathing! Right? You gently and kindly come back. So it's inherent in the technique itself. And people report more and more kindness over time as they practice it, and more self-kindness, because they're cultivating the skill. Really, it's a skill. Um, And there are practices that come out of the mindfulness world that are associated with it where we deliberately develop kindness and compassion. And so you can do practices that like, where you, you think about a person and you send them compassion and then you, it, it, it kind of uses mindfulness in certain ways, but they're wonderful practices connected to the cultivation of compassion that so that our mind can be trained. Um, last thing I'll mention, or do you want me to, were you about to say something? No, please. Okay, so so just going back to the research, I talked about some of that that generosity research study, and then but another one that's coming to mind is they had people. Um, there was a study. I don't know if I want to get into it slightly long, but quickly, I'll just say they had um, people who went through a six-week mindfulness program, and they went in to get supposedly tested. For their, like, for their results of having done it, but they actually had set up a fake test for them. And so what they did was it was a room where there were three chairs, two people were in the chair, the person comes in and they sit in the chair to fill out their forms, and then an actor comes in with a cast on his leg and or her leg, and um, they have to see whether the person is going to get up and give up their chair or not right so that was the test and then there's this there's this complicating factor because apparently you don't do things if other people aren't doing it so those other two people don't get up Mm -hmm. you know that's why people don't like in a terrible situation when nobody else is calling the cops they don't call the cops too right what we just read you know heard about horrible horrible so um so anyway what they saw was that the people who had done the mindfulness practice gave up their chair at least like two or three times more like regularly than the people who didn't. Mm. So there was something that this this factor of compassion is getting activated through just doing these basic mindfulness practices.
1: And this is in the science people. This is in the science. Yes. Yeah. It's quantitative data. So with this, are there are there any, you know, cuz I've heard that, you know, compassion a lot of times people are like oh well if I'm more compassionate does that mean I'm just getting run over all the time or you know people just taking me for granted um so are are there any misconceptions about compassion
2: there's so many misconceptions about compassion I mean I think people confuse compassion and pity a lot or compassion and um you know over like overgiving and people burn out with their compassion. And so
1: but the definition on Google of compassion has really in it. yeah, yeah
2: pity in it. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that.
1: It may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think to me, the pity, It's connected to like some aversion, like I feel sorry for you, but it doesn't mean that I, my heart is opening to you and hoping that your suffering goes away. It just says, Oh, I feel really bad. And actually, usually with pity, there's a sense like I want to get away from it too, right? I don't quite like that. So, um, so compassion is, um, now I'm losing the thread. Tell me what the question was again.
1: Uh, misconceptions about compassion. Oh,
2: misconceptions. Yeah. So, co- so compassion is not pity. And then it's also not this like overgiving thing. So in one of the traditions that I've been involved with, there's, there's a lang- language for this. It's called idiot compassion and idiot compassion is when you give, give, give to give to someone at your own expense. Mm. So that's not healthy compassion. Like a healthy compassion is balanced and it's, it's like you you have the freedom and the ability to give, but it's not at your own expense. And so there's, there's actually a whole beautiful field of compassion research and practice that's called self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And so there's people who are studying how do you develop more self-compassion. And the idea also is that in order for you to be able to give to others, you've got to be able to also give to yourself. And for some people it's really hard to do. Like some people can – Send compassion out, or do compassionate acts for the whole world. But when it comes to themselves, it's they don't can't do it too well. So, so to me, the self-compassion piece is another important thing that we don't want to lose in light of in light of you know compassion.
1: Yeah, I've said this before on the podcast, but um, you know, Ramdas has mentioned that the best thing that I can do for you is work on myself. And the best thing that you can do for me is work on yourself. And it's kind of in that work that natural compassion will come out for others. And yeah, it sounds like there's a balance to it. It's not whether you're just doing it or you're not like there's a there's like a balance.
2: Um, Absolutely, and I think that people need to be really in touch with themselves around like how much they can do and how much they can't do, you know. And there's a practice, when I teach the practice of compassion, I always teach another practice connected to it, which is a practice that actually cultivates balance or equanimity. So so compassion is like the opening of the heart, but it can get too much and we can get subsumed or overwhelmed or burnt out, compassion fatigue, as they say, right? And then there's this other practice that's about balancing the mind and recognizing things are as they are. So you're actually cultivating this quality of equanimity. Thing. May I be with things as they are? And I find that it, for the overgivers, equanimity is a good practice. For the people who feel a little scared to give, doing the compassion is a great practice. Mm-hmm. So they, they do balance.
1: Well, I, uh, I had mentioned this prior to us recording, but I, Um, first, I'm a huge fan of Diana Winston, but, uh, uh, I remember when you had talked about equanimity, I first heard that term from you when, uh, this pandemic was just getting started. And I think, yeah, that's, especially when it's like things are happening outside of your control, but it's just, it's very overwhelming, uh, just being with it right now in this moment. Um. And also, I think, knowing that there are different routes of showing compassion. Like, it's not all about just, like, giving money or um, giving away tangible things, but even time, like giving someone your attention and time is also, you know, a a form of showing compassion or trying to relieve suffering.
2: Absolutely. And I'll just say from my perspective – having compassion arising in your body and mind and, and like like that is also really valuable too, that your response to a person is not – like let's say we see a person who's homeless on the street and your response isn't, "uh, get that away, but your response is open my heart and sending compassion out is actually a really important thing to do and it can be a precursor to compassionate acts. Yeah.
1: And yeah. it sounds like there's kind of like a difference between – um, acting with your heart and acting with your mind. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a lot of in your heart wanting to, like your heart just hurts seeing, you know, a, a homeless individual or, uh, experiencing homelessness, you know, on the street streets and, um, uh, but your mind going through all the different ways of how this might, you know, uh, I don't have enough money or like what if what if something bad happens and so yeah I think there sounds like there's another balance of your heart b- between your heart and your mind.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: Um so whether New. So you actually recently in 2019 came out with a book, the little book of being. Um, and so this, this talks about this new concept that you've been working on, which is called natural awareness, uh, which is, it sounds like is for, you know, people new to meditation and experienced meditators. Um, do you mind describing this idea of um, pivoting from compassionate sure. to naturalness. awareness.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, you're saying new, it's not really new. It's just the way I talked about it, it might have been new to some people, okay. but um, so, so it's, it's a, it's another way of experiencing mindfulness. That's what the book is about. And a lot of what is popularized about mindfulness these days is about, you know, paying attention to the present moment and just making effort to stay present And having taught it and practiced it for, you know, the last 30 years, I realized that there's actually a whole continuum of how we can practice mindfulness. And sometimes mindfulness can be very, very precise and noticing every breath. And sometimes mindfulness can be very wide open and spacious. So a way of thinking about that is like a camera Camera can take a telephoto lens and see something very specific and very like detailed close in. Camera can take an ordinary photo and a camera can take a wide open panoramic photo, and they're all really great ways of taking. There's not like one is better. They just used at different times so in meditation it's the same thing it's like you mindfulness meditation is is like you can take you can do a very narrow practice or you can do a wide open spacious practice and as you're moving along this continuum or spectrum of ways of being aware there's this quality of what i call natural awareness that comes and it's the more open spacious panoramic effortless end of mindfulness and the reason why i think people of any whether they're beginners or advanced meditators can experience it is that it's a quality inherent to human beings like like we all have had moments i'm hoping not everybody but most people have had moments where they've just relaxed and rested and felt present and home and connected and they didn't have to do anything to make it happen it just was right this is like often it happens in nature for people or in sports or in you know in artistic activity or dancing or something right so there's this this way that humans have this this already existing natural awareness where it gets interesting for advanced meditators is that. It can actually be something that we can investigate and evoke and not have it just be like, Oh yeah, once when I was walking out in the mountains, this happened, but you can deliberately do practices to help cultivate it. And I call these glimpse practices that help bring this practice to mind, to your ability. And, and, and we can even begin to investigate that which is aware, like awareness itself, which is really like this is far out. If your listeners have lost me at this point, that's okay. But, but, um, but that's that's sort of like the far end of natural awareness.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really I really like the those uh, examples that you brought in of the effortless of whether you're dancing or you're in sports, you might be cooking, you are like in the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, I think that really highlights this effortless. You know, it's just happening. It mm-hmm. is just happening. Mm-hmm. So I was actually hoping that we would be able to um, experience a guided meditation by Diana Winston. <laughs> do you mind?
2: I don't mind, but what would you like me to do? So yes,
1: I, do. I was- There's many choices. <laughs> I, yeah, no, many a choices. I was wondering if, uh, you know, we could do one that just like you had mentioned with the camera, that might start with like a focused and then um, where it's like bringing it back and then to kind of just on the breath and then going into natural awareness.
2: Um, sure. We can try that. If um, that
1: makes sense Yeah,
2: absolutely. We can definitely do it. And how much time do you want me to do it for?
1: Uh, like five minutes.
2: Okay. Everything I know how to teach in five minutes. Here we go.
1: Here we, everyone, everything.
2: <laughs> okay. So wherever you are, wherever you're listening, assuming you're not driving, um, just, well, you can kind of do it if you're driving. Just don't close your eyes, please. Let's um, find a way to settle. And I uh, can be maybe sitting upright in a chair or cushion or Couch wherever you are. And your eyes can be closed unless that doesn't feel okay, in which case you can leave them open, but looking downward, not all around. Hands resting where they're comfortable. Let's turn our attention to our feet on the ground. Feeling your feet on the floor. Noticing your weight supported by the chair, bed, couch. As you feel your feet on the floor and noticing your body in the chair, there's a sense of the earth below us. You can sense the earth below you. Even if you're many stories up. Let's feel the support. And this is a practice you can feel your feet at any time when your mind gets lost in all sorts of worries and concerns. Just feel your feet on the ground. Feel the earth, the sense of the earth below you. And now bring your attention to your breath in your body. Maybe you feel your abdomen rising and falling with each breath can you feel your abdomen moving? Let your breath be natural, in and out, through your nose. Can you feel your chest rising and falling, expanding and contracting? Maybe you notice the air moving through your nose, tingling, warmth. So let's find something to focus on. So this is where we're going to do the narrow lens of the camera, the telephoto lens. So maybe you can find something to focus on, like your breath. Pick, a, pick your breath in one of those areas, or if you liked feeling your feet, the changing sensations of your feet on the ground, tingling, vibration, do that. But just pick something, they all work equally well. And you notice your breath, breath after breath, the natural breath. Now when your attention gets caught in other things it will probably wander away, gently return it to your breath or to the feet, either one. With a breath, get lost in thought, Come back to the breath. See if you can have a quality of kindness as you do this. Kindness for yourself. Yes, your mind may be wandering. It wanders for everybody. But just come back as we develop this this narrow, focused awareness. And now just let yourself bring to mind a time in your life where you felt just connected, at home, present in your body, in the flow. What I was describing earlier, What is there a time that you can point to, and it doesn't have to be anything special or dramatic. It could be out in nature or with your best friend, or with an animal, or in sports, or in art, or anything else. See if you can remember a time that you were just naturally present without having to do much. And let yourself bring to mind that time. Where were you? What could you see? Hear, feel, smell. And see if you can remember how you felt at that moment. What was it like? Notice if there's a sense of well being, ease, peace, joy. And let it spread. Just let it spread. Really acknowledge that feeling. Feel it and let it spread through your body. And notice that you're just naturally here. Awareness is present. This ability to be present is a capacity of the human mind. You did it quite naturally and you're doing it now. Present, alert. Notice how you're feeling. Let's bring our attention back to our feet for the last second or two. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes or end the meditation. There you go.
1: Thank you so much for that.
2: welcome.
1: I really appreciate it. I'm sure everybody out there appreciates that. <clears throat> I'm very thankful that there's a um, mute button on Zoom. I swallowed a bit of uh, saliva that went down. <laughs> <laughs> right down the middle. So uh, um, thank goodness for a little mute button. <laughs> Diana, we have covered some amazing ground today, and I really appreciate all your insights and um, practice, guided guided practice. Um, So before we go, um, I was wondering if there were any specific readings or maybe websites that you would want to recommend to anybody looking to learn more about mindfulness or um, compassion
2: okay i am going to point you to the stuff that i'm connected to so um my ucla center the mindful awareness research center we have all sorts of classes and programs, events, free events, lots of meditations. I teach every Thursday at 1230 on Zoom, and it's all on our website, and that's UCLAHealth.org slash Mark, M-A-R-C. And um, my book that just came out that has to do with natural awareness is called The Little Book of Being. And my other Another book I have is called uh, Fully Present, The Science, Art, and Practice of Mindfulness, and that has all the science. So if you're interested in the science, it's a good overview of all of that. And then um, you can add, oh, our UCLA Mindful app. Of course, there's many out there. So there's tons, and it's hard to even figure out which one to go, but you're welcome to check out our UCLA Mindful app. And I think that's it. I have my own website, dianawinston.com.
1: All Amazing resources, y'all. I highly recommend listening back on all those resources. So with that, I want to thank Diana Winston. Thank you so much again for um, being here, being present with us today, and um, sharing all these amazing, amazing thoughts. And uh, (laughs) everyone, this right here has been the Compassion Talk podcast. Thanks for listening.